0: You know anxiety and perfectionism that it doesn't have to be a life sentence Mm -hmm. that it's only a life sentence if we make it our identity so if we say things like i'm just an anxious person or you know i'm always going to be a perfectionist then yeah you're gonna that's the identity you're adopting you're gonna always act in alignment with that
1: are you tired of setting goals and feeling like no matter what you do you just never achieve them And are you noticing that it's usually anxiety or perfectionism that's getting in your way? If you're ready to break free from perfectionism and the analysis paralysis that comes with it, then this episode is for you. Anxiety is a super common condition that most of us experience at some point in our lives and it actually comes from over control and from thoughts that we have that are projected into the future. It's where all the what-ifs and what could happen and the worst case scenarios live. While there's no actual various approach to managing anxiety specifically, when we focus on mindset, nutrition and movement, all of them combined can be particularly effective in providing natural relief and more control and allow us to become more centered in our emotion and in our perspective around life in general welcome back athletes i'm your host sherry chaban and with each episode i am honored to be your coaching guide in the journey to fall in love with fitness and ultimately yourself My intention in each episode is to help you release the old story of who you are and step into the one you are always meant to be. Through these conversations, together we will step away from focusing on the doing and step into the being so that health and fitness is not just what you do, but who you are. In this episode, Heather Lillico, a holistic nutritionist and wellness practitioner, discusses the importance of addressing mental health, specifically anxiety in our society, and she shares her personal journey with anxiety and how she found natural ways to manage it through nutrition, meditation, and yoga. Heather emphasizes the need to prioritize self-care and develop healthy habits to overcome perfectionism and anxiety so that we can allow ourselves to live our best lives. In this conversation, Heather and I highlight the connection between thoughts, emotions and the nervous system and how understanding this can lead to more balanced and calm life. Now, before we jump in athletes and meet Heather, I want to invite you one more time to join the six week habit challenge. It's completely free. And all you'd have to do is to email me at sherry at before January 15th with 2024 habit challenge as the subject line. Now, here's what it's all about. If you are tired of setting these massive goals and they're mostly outcome focused and you notice that you're always moving towards these big goals but not really setting in place the system and the strategy not only to get you there but to keep you there, then this challenge is for you. This year, I would love to invite you to consider setting small intentions for the new year that you can master over time versus setting up massive goals that become daunting and challenging to start and sustain even for example what would happen if this year we took on an intention to hit 10,000 steps every day maybe building it up over several weeks or even months so long as it feels like it's in line with our own pace and our own lifestyle and then after that we master another habit such as stopping to eat three hours before bed and then after we master that we stack on yet another habit and so on and so forth until We realize that we've set in place all of these little things that will continue to stay in motion and continue to give us the result that we want over time without it feeling like so much effort or restriction or even that we needing to force discipline in order to stay consistent so remember if this message resonates with you go ahead and email me sherry at sherry before january 15th and i will give you immediate access to the 2024 habit challenge completely free now one more last thing and i've shared this as well on the previous episode i would love to spend the week with you in greece this october And if you've been struggling with self-sabotaging behavior or other unwanted eating behavior in general, or notice that you have all of these non-serving habits that you're wanting to release, but have a hard time doing so. And you're noticing that they keep you from hitting your health goals, then this retreat is for you. I'd love to invite you to join me in transformation in paradise metamorphosis Greece this October, October 12 to 19 in Lefkada. Now all the details are on my website sheryshaban.com forward slash retreats and if this is sounding like something that you'd like to learn more about and really learn about how we can overcome unwanted self-sabotaging behaviors in just a span of a week let's get in touch and go over all the details of the retreat and answer all your questions to see if this retreat is the right fit for you. Again feel free to reach out at sherry at sherryshabon.com We're going to book a call together and make sure that we walk you through all the little details and feel like this is the right fit for you. All right, athletes, now, without further ado, let's meet Heather. Well, hello, Heather. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Sherry. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. We're actually about to talk about something that I think is so incredibly necessary and I think not given enough attention or awareness in our society and I think maybe even just these conversations around mental health have emerged in the last few years as being so important to address in our society especially after what we saw in the pandemic but before we get into that I just want to wish you a happy new year woman
0: well you too there's always that exciting new year energy right yeah
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. Actually, in the last few years, I don't know about you, but I've I've stopped setting goals. I don't set these goals and instead and I want to be a bit more specific. So I don't set outcome focused goals like this year. I want to do that or this year I want to have this. But instead, I really think about, okay, what is the intention in which I am going to maybe present myself this year? What am I going to do around maybe addressing certain aspects of my character or maybe energy that I'll show up with? and then see what the impact that will have on whatever it is that I'm trying to move towards. What do you think about that?
0: Ooh, I like that. And it's this is such a great conversation for this time of year because I as well have stopped making specific resolutions. But what I started doing a few years back is I started picking a word of the year. So in 2022, my word of the year was explore. And I paused my life in Canada. I went traveling to Central and South America for a year. And I really evaluated like what was working, what wasn't. And then last year, 2023, my word of the year was build. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to build up my community. I wanted to more connections and build a space for people. So I launched my app, Cultivating Calm, where people could come together and, and be supported with anxiety. And then this year, my word of the year for 2024 is impact. Mm-hmm. So I'm wanting to have more impact to spread the word about anxiety and you know all these ways that we can not just manage it, but I think heal it. And so thank you for having me on because this fits the bill of helping have to have impact and being able to connect with our listeners.
1: This is so good. And I I just love the way your body changed and your energy changed every time you just came to that word. I felt like you were embodying that word. And I just see how so much more powerful that is. And especially this conversation is important because this time of year is really when we see people super inspired and motivated and they have these big, massive goals. And it's, it's really almost going... To from one extreme to another almost overnight and just all in without really even creating that sense of curiosity around it and I don't know about you but the majority of the people that I know who've set goals generally don't make it past let's say mid January in terms of committing to them unless of course there's been this buildup. there's this been this gradual growth towards it that had a lot to do with addressing the person who they are being in that place versus actually just scheduling all the things that need to be done. So I'm just curious about you as well and what your perspective is in terms of why you think that most people, if you do agree with that, most people don't actually hit their new year's goals.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, I would agree with that that I've seen a lot of people fall off what they say they want to do. And people that I work with in my practice are perfectionists, right? So there's that all or nothing thinking that comes into play. And I think when we set goals, we think, okay, I want to hit, you know, this target. And then, but what are the practices that you actually have to do every day to hit that target, right? If we don't put the habits into place, then we're not going to get there. Or if we put habits into place, like, let's say someone had a goal that they wanted to meditate every day, and then they don't do it one day. Well, what happens if you're a perfectionist, you're probably going to fall off of the wagon and then have such a hard time getting back on because then the shame comes in and there's that, oh, I failed and a lot of negative self-talk that comes into play. So I think for some of us, we're not setting up the right habits to achieve the goals, but also we might not be even setting the right goals. I think sometimes we set things that we feel like we quote unquote should have, right? Like I should attain this thing when perhaps it's really not a value that you have that you actually want that goal.
1: So good. So good. And everything that you're saying, all I hear is diet mindset, diet culture, diet culture, all or none, it's got to be so perfect. And this is actually the work that I do behind the sort of damage that the diet culture has created, which is the Mm -hmm. unwanted eating behavior, which comes from the all or none approach of things needing to be so perfect. And so before we jump into this conversation, because I'm like all over it I'm curious Heather why why did you get into this space so you are a holistic nutritionist you're a wellness practitioner but Mm -hmm. you specifically focus on and I got to quote this because this is just absolutely brilliant but you focus on actually supporting overthinking people pleasing perfectionists around how to manage their anxiety naturally and so why did you come to this as your line of work and, and the passion behind what you do.
0: Yeah, happy to share. So I do focus in this specific area. And you know, when I first started as a nutritionist, I was a little bit more broad. And I just found that that wasn't really lighting me up. What was lighting me up was using my own experience to be able to help others. So Growing up, I was always kind of a nervous kid. I was very sensitive, you know, any type of criticism and I would be in tears. I was a perfectionist. I had to get top marks or I felt like a complete failure. And I was an overthinker, like constantly running through my social interactions with people. You know, did I come across as weird or awkward or thinking through you know, even just like small decisions about, you know, what am I going to have for dinner? And, and all of this, like this worry, this self-doubt, it followed me through to university and it sort of hit an explosion, I guess, during that time where the pressure of university got to me and I started having panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first one I experienced, I was at a crowded party in university and my vision started to tunnel, get really narrow and my palms got sweaty my heart started to beat fast and I felt like I was going to pass out. So I locked myself in the bathroom and I remember just sliding down the wall thinking that I was going to die and waiting for it to pass. So started living in fear of like, when is the next panic attack going to come up? And I was so overwhelmed that something needed to change. So I went to my doctor and I said, I got to I got to do something here. And she whipped out her prescription pad and started writing me something for anti-anxiety meds. And I said, Let's just pause and see maybe there are some things that I could do first naturally before I go down this route. And so I started by changing my diet. And at this point, not much was known about the link between anxiety and nutrition. So I did my own research and started by adding in some calming foods and I felt better. And then I still felt like I was really amped up with my nervous system. So I started practicing yoga and I felt calmer still. And i still felt like i had a million thoughts so i started practicing meditation and that was the last piece of the puzzle for me so this is what i share with others it's this holistic and natural way to manage anxiety through the power of meditation nutrition and yoga
1: this is so beautiful this is so good and And I think before we get into that, and I I agree with absolutely everything that you shared in terms of what there is to address, and especially on a nervous system level, once you understand what's going on in the body and how nutrition can impact the nervous system as well as yoga and meditation. But I'm curious in your your opinion, is this nature or nurture that really brings us this characteristics of over-perfectionism or over-control, I want to say? Because perfectionism, really, that's just sort of... Nicer word for saying I'm I'm a control freak because I'm a control freak Heather I I 100% am and I've been <laughs> I've been working on it for so long and I realize what I allow myself to be controlling over and then the other things that I have to surrender to and so the things that I can control I'm super aware that they are in my control that I can actually do something about it versus let's say the weather which is outside of my control or what's going on in the economy or what's going on in the space around us or politics or whatever that is and I think we all saw that, especially during COVID, where a lot of things were out of our control. And that's where we saw a lot of people struggling with anxiety and other sort of conditions that are similar because of control. And so what do you think is really the root cause of us getting in that space? Is it just our characteristic, like that's how we're born, or is it more nurture?
0: It's such a good question. I think that there's an element of both, right? Of course, there are some genetics genetic links to anxiety and perfectionism, but... I've seen is that it comes down to a lot of the messaging that you received as a kid, because this is when our subconscious mind is forming. And so it depends a lot on our environment then, right? Like what kind of messaging were you exposed to? If you brought home a test and got 95 on it and were asked, where's the other 5%, you start to develop that messaging. Like I need to be perfect. And a lot of us end up equating achievement with worthiness, right? Like I have to be doing, 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 and this is why We end up burnt out because we live in this kind of hustle culture of, I always have to be, you know, getting that next promotion, hitting that next target, hitting that next weight, and then, then I'll be worthy, right? We're trying to wait until that outcome happens and then thinking that that's going to magically give us something. But I think this is, and this is a lot of the work that I do is overcoming those limiting beliefs, right? These beliefs that we have in our deep subconscious mind, these beliefs like, I'm not good enough or people are going to leave me or I'm going to be abandoned because those beliefs will end up guiding our decisions and lead us to a life that we don't want to live. It, you know, it leads us to like a small life without taking risks.
1: Right. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. A lot of it, we have to ask ourselves, like, where does that come from? And especially when we're hearing that voice in our head, like whose voice is that? Is that my dad's voice? Is that my mom's voice? Is is that my teacher's voice in third grade who told me that I had to do that? Is, Is that my swim coach's voice? And so there is that voice in our head that's very reflective of that messaging that we got at such a young age, which of course shaped our entire perspective of the world. And so from this place, we start to operate. And what I also remember reading many times and even just getting into... Just where we actually place our thoughts and how that can create particular emotions and so obviously when you're talking about meditation when you're talking about yoga what I'm hearing you say is that you're really bringing your focus to the present moment because that's what meditation does it brings you to the present moment but what I also understand what I also notice in myself is when I start to project thoughts that are in the future the what ifs or the worst case scenarios, which of course triggers the sympathetic nervous system, that's also where we start to feel anxiety. I start to feel a bit more stress and overwhelm and the not enoughness starts to come in. And then of course that voice is super rampant in my head and telling me all the things that of course create more of those emotions. And so what are your thoughts on that in terms of the thoughts themselves and and how they actually create the emotion in our body that ends up translating into anxiety or depression or other secondary emotions?
0: I mean, our thoughts create our reality, right? Our thoughts create the emotions which create then or determine our behavior, right? So something as simple as like you get an email from a boss and the boss says, hey, can we chat? Someone who has the belief that, is I'm good enough. Maybe thinks, oh, I'm getting a promotion. Like something exciting is happening. Great. Right? Because you have the thought that I'm enough. The emotion is excitement. It's, Oh, I can't wait for this. Great. Something good is happening. If someone has the limiting belief of I'm not good enough, or that's like the lens, right? That they're seeing the world when they see an email that says, Hey, can we talk? It's oh my God, something is happening. Something bad is happening. The emotions that come up from that are anxiety, fear, scarcity. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. If I get fired, I'm going to lose my house. And then my partner's going to leave me. And it's like zero to a hundred in the span of a couple milliseconds. We have no actual evidence that that's how it's going to turn out. But anxiety doesn't care about that. It lives in the gray, the uncertainty, the what ifs.
1: So good, so good. And so t- tell me then your process, walk us through what that looks like. So addressing, let's say the nutritional aspect of overcoming anxiety, getting more, I would say, centered with your emotions in general, what does that look like in terms of nutrition? And then how do we incorporate yoga and meditation? And then we'll talk about meditation, because I think that's like a whole rabbit hole that we can get into, especially for those who've never practiced meditation or believe that they cannot sit still to meditate. So walk us through what
0: that sort of looks like that process looks like. Sure. So I take people through what I call a three pillar approach. So the three pillars are mindset, nutrition, and movement. What this means is it's about the thoughts that you think, the foods that you eat, and the way that you move your body. And so all of these come together and like, what are the practices that we need to be doing every day to address those three pillars? Because sometimes people are doing one, but very rarely are they doing all three consistently. That's what's going to change the limiting beliefs. And that's, what's going to give you the nutrients that you need to feel calm, to feel regulated and the actual skills and you know tools for your toolbox. So let's talk about nutrition first. There is no amount of mindset work in the world that's going to overcome a crappy diet. If you're not getting the nutrients that you need, the building blocks that your cells need, you simply are not going to feel calm, right? Because the nutrients that we're consuming are going to lead to things like our neurotransmitters in our brain, right? Helping us feel happy and calm and satiated. They're going to help support our gut bacteria, which huge links between gut health and mental health right and how the bacteria in our gut can help make a lot of neurotransmitters but they also communicate with the brain and and help us feel calm and relaxed so some of the best foods out there you know i really emphasize like a real whole food approach getting rid of that all or nothing thinking right like if you want the cookie have the cookie great but Most of the time, we're focusing on real whole nutrients like nuts and seeds, some of the best for anxiety. So hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, sunflower, chia, flax, these are all incredible for anxiety. They are rich in magnesium, which is like our calming mineral and so good for fitness as well and reducing muscle cramps and being able to sleep at the end of the night or at the end of the day. And Fermented foods as well. I think a lot of us don't consume enough fermented foods. So yogurt, kefir, kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, tempeh. These are going to provide live bacteria for your body. And so then these happy neurotransmitters can be made by the bacteria in the gut. And I usually recommend aiming for two different fermented foods a day. Maybe sometimes people are getting one, but getting two in can be a real challenge, but you're going to see big rewards there.
1: That's so good. I love that everything that you said. So, first, you started off saying, Well, crappy diet. And crappy diet had nothing to do with this many calories and this much saturated fat and this much cholesterol. And it was really about, okay, feeding the gut bacteria, the microbiome that are responsible for the neurotransmitters and The serotonin that is released in the gut is going to impact your overall mood. And this is so beautiful because I think we also need to start to look at food differently and food not just being calories in and calories out or feeling that the body even counts calories because the body actually doesn't count calories. It counts nutrients, which is why we feel like quote unquote crap, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's something missing. We don't have satiety because the body knows that it's still missing nutrients or our mood is affected because, oh my goodness, we're actually hungry. We're, We're underfed right? And so when you understand this, and you understand that food is not just going to keep me alive, and that's the only purpose, or it is the means in which I reduce my weight or gain weight, but it's actually deeper and more profound than that. And this actually impacts my mood, specifically anxiety. And I love also that you've shared all of these different types of foods that have high magnesium and high quality of fats that are really going to help us even just stabilize and again, find that center. So that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing.
0: Oh yeah. And I just love your approach to nutrition because I'm not about like, you know, heavy counting and macros and using food as punishment. i for many years, no judgment behind it for many years, I was working through recovering from an eating disorder and I had such a terrible relationship with food. Like I used food as a way to numb out from strong emotions, when I was feeling a lack of control over my life, I tried to turn to controlling my food intake and calorie counting because it gave me some semblance of control. And so I think the relationship for a lot of folks is really tangled up, right? And, and there's that kind of morality that comes in with food sometimes of like, I'm a quote unquote good person today because I ate this certain food. And I, I want to just eradicate that for people that, you know, we're trying to focus on real whole foods that nourish the body and help us feel fueled up
1: oh my goodness one preach that is so good it's so good and it's and it's interesting because i used to also be super stringent around nutrition and i'm in general just my character i'm a very disciplined person and everything you're describing by the way about this whole perfectionism and and yes i I was (laughs) i was born that way plus nurture added like another layer to that and so around that time when i was being very restrictive around food because i'm a scientist my background's in biochemistry and athletic therapy and exercise science I was reading a lot of books everything was backed by science and then it started to become very stressful I actually started to get super anxious because this diet said this and mm. that and by the way there was science that backed that up and my goodness so many studies and this is the way we eat and otherwise creates disease and then there are other diet that said exactly the same thing on opposing facts and then I started getting so anxious and so overwhelmed and when you think about diet culture That's exactly what it does. All of that control creates stress and anxiety and overwhelm around how we eat. And we are no longer intuitively listening to our body and what our body's cues are. And instead, we're now just feeling that food is a different means for equilibrium in the body. And so what we actually see from people being overly restrictive, and especially for long periods of time, is that they start to develop disordered relationships with food, and they start to fear food. Because the moment we say this food is good, and this food is bad, what we've done is we've placed a charge. It's like a polarizing charge on the food. And the moment we place a charge we actually place an emotion and so if i've already decided that carbs are bad and all of these foods are bad what i've also said like you were saying if i consume these foods then i'm bad and that's Mm -hmm. where guilt and shame start to set in because we had a cookie or we had a plate of pasta and then of course that just continues to escalate and become a greater problem over time especially as we continue to restrict and so this is a really important conversation and and I think also we have to mention that how we do anything is how we do everything Heather and when we're overly perfectionist in one area of, of our lives and then we take that and translate to that to our food and then to our relationships and then to our business and then to our kids now we've got a lot of very similar ways in which we're showing up in different areas of our lives but if we tackle one and we understand that it's the exact same energy that we're bringing everywhere else we can then start to see a massive transformation and really come to that place of ease. So thank you for sharing that and for being vulnerable. And and I'm curious for you, how were you able to move away from that, especially just mentioning that you had a disordered relationship with food? How did you heal that?
0: That for me came, well, a lot of therapy, but (laughs) that came down to me to reprogramming these subconscious beliefs that I had a belief that I wasn't good enough. And so I turned to food to cope with that. And I didn't know how to cope with strong emotions, any type of really high anxiety or guilt or shame or a feeling like I've done something wrong. You know, I've disappointed somebody, these strong emotions, I turned to food to numb out. And so it really was about understanding how to process emotions, which meditation was a big piece in of being able to sit with the emotions and learning that, you know, there's no bad emotions. They're they're just there. They're signposts. They're there to tell you something. Like anxiety is an emotion that's there to alert you to danger, right? It might not be a physical danger, like you stepping off a curb and being hit by a car, but it can be an emotional danger. Like if you feel not good enough, if you feel like somebody's going to leave or abandon you, that's enough of a danger for anxiety to start to rise. So when I learned how to Really sit with the emotions and be able to see them from a space of a bit of distance, which meditation teaches, that completely changed my relationship to them. And then reprogramming those beliefs to know that I am good enough. I am worthy no matter what. My worth is never in question. My worth is not dependent on my achievements. That was the big breakthrough.
1: Oh my goodness. So good. So good. I feel like the theme of our entire conversation today is going to be self-love. Like I just feel like mm. we're just going to come to self-love. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I just love everything that you're saying. So how did you get into meditation? Especially, I'm going to ask you this because I, I actually struggle to get into meditation. Again, control freak. I'm, I always have to keep moving. I can't sit still. Like how do I sit still? And now I can sit still for hours and meditate, which is really nuts when I think about it. But how did you get into it?
0: So let me share for all the overthinkers and perfectionists out there that there is hope because when I first started meditating, I hated it. I was like, you want me to sit here quietly with my own thoughts. And I thought I was supposed to not think. And so I would sit there going, don't think, don't think. Okay, you're having a thought. No, why are you having a thought? Oh, you're terrible at this. You suck at this. You don't like to be bad at things. Okay, just give up. Don't do it. And that's what happens to a lot of perfectionists is... We want to be good at something right away. And if we're not good at it, it's not sticking around. This is why perfectionists don't often pick up new hobbies or really take a lot of risks. So I had to learn to sit with the discomfort of it not going my way, but then to understand what meditation actually was, that I wasn't trying to empty my mind of thoughts, that it is the job of your brain to think. So instead, what I was trying to do is say, is notice when I was having the thoughts, right? To say, oh, okay, here's another one. And to bring in a piece of self-compassion, because I think that's missing for a lot of people with anxiety or perfectionism or overachievers is, you know, this want to be so good at something, but to not have any compassion for ourselves when it doesn't go exactly as planned. And so I would have to sort of reframe when I was meditating, really what I was doing is trying to focus on the present moment, right? So to come in to focus on the breath, for example, as an anchor to the present And anytime my mind wandered, I sort of changed my mindset to say, oh, good. My mind has wandered. It gives me a chance to bring it back. Okay. Oh, good. It's wandered again. Oh, I noticed. Great. I noticed. And come back. And that helped get through some of the frustration that I think a lot of newbies experience is that feeling of like, I want to be good at this. And good means I should have a clear mind. Not at all. Like, let's change the expectation that your mind is going to wander. That's perfectly natural. Your job is to notice it when it does. And how great is that you notice it because you're strengthening your ability to bring it back. It's like going to the gym and doing another bicep curl. Great. You're strengthening that muscle. So that kind of changed my relationship with it. And I think when a lot of people start, they also maybe try to do it on their own. They just sit there and, you know, go on the meditation cushion and just sit there for me, I needed guidance and I still to this day always do guided meditations because it's so helpful to have someone give you those prompts of, oh, have you wandered? Come back. So good. And and I love
1: that you say that. And thank you for being so honest and saying I actually didn't like it when I first started because I think more people need to hear that. Right, And it's the same thing with exercise, or it's the same thing with starting anything new. It's not easy from the first try. We have to keep trying and coming back to the word perfectionist, right? Perfectionism does not allow failure. And so I think the way that I wrapped my head around that is I started to think about being this perfectionist meant that I had high integrity that I had high work ethic and then I'll leave it at that so that is going to be my takeaway from being a perfectionist then the other component of it had to be around how I define success and failure because that's also sort of where I find we all get stuck success is so rigid it means this and failure means this and it's also extremely rigid But when we start to look at the word failure and realize that there's actually no such thing as failure, failure is just an opportunity for you to try again and learn something new. And if you took a moment to explore your mentors or the greatest creators or inventors on the planet and realize how many times they had to fail in order for them to finally succeed and get it right and to learn, now it just becomes a whole new experience. And we always hear this. We always hear people being so afraid to try something because there's this constant fear of failure. And for me that that idea of, of never ever trying something and then dying before I even got a chance to release that or to even know what that would ex- feel like or how that would ex- be experienced that it would be hard for me to actually live with and so I think if we just take a moment to observe and just like you were saying in meditation we observe our breath we observe our thoughts what if I just started also to observe my behavior every time fear came up fear that I'm not enough or fear that I might fail every time that comes up can I just observe that I'm practicing that energy of perfectionism? And what would happen if I just became more curious and allowed myself an opportunity to try without really needing to mean anything? It doesn't mean that this is my value and that I've succeeded or failed. It just meant that I've tried. And if it didn't work out, I'm gonna try again and again and again until it does. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, well, I wanna say a couple things about that. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, the success and the failure piece because, if I think about the times in my life when I've learned the most or when I've, I've gr- grown the most, it was in the failures, right? Because that's where you get the lesson. So for example, I beforehand was running, this was like pre-pandemic, I was running group programs for anxiety. And I remember the last one I did, registration was so low for it. And I thought, this isn't working, Like. I'm a complete failure. And I was making it mean something so significant about my worth. Like nobody wants to sign up. Nobody wants to do this. And I just felt like garbage. I was so down on myself. And I thought, okay, you know what? This is telling you something. This is telling you you to pivot. So this is how Cultivating Calm, the app was born is because I thought I need to do something different. I need to offer people support in a different way. I need to offer support that meets people where they're at so that, you know, maybe not everybody wants to do a group program at a certain time point. Maybe instead they want to have a library of resources and courses that they can take on their own. And so I really got a chance to take that step back and then connect with my community to see, what do you need? How can I best support you? And I wouldn't have had that chance to have bigger impact had I just stuck with the same model that was, you know, that was always, working until it didn't
1: so good I love those stories and it's it's always like that it's always a new perspective and by the way I love how you just walked us through what that really looks like because I like to think I'm a very positive person I like to think that I'm a hard worker and I have hard disciplined work ethic like I just shared and I have a feeling you're the same and yet I'll still have those moments of like you're such a loser like oh my god like you know and it's it's so interesting mm-hmm. because we have to state this from the outside it always looks like wow, everything must come so easy that person mm-hmm. must have such thick skin that person like wow they're still going they're so resilient and i heard this also and i've always heard this my whole life and especially after the pandemic i had to switch and transition and, and pivot my entire business twice and so this is those people were saying to me but what they didn't know is of course every single time something didn't work out of course i took my moment of self-loathing and what's wrong yeah. with you and you're but then you know you're like okay okay that's good done i did that for a moment now what's next right?
0: Yeah, I think think that's the key full
1: permission to to be in that emotion. It's okay to be in that emotion. I just don't need to stay in that emotion. And I think that's where we really need to share that message that that emotion will be natural. Like you said, it's the body's natural response to feel Mm -hmm. like you're not enough or to have anxiety. But now what will we do with that? Because that does give us something. And now let's get curious around what it's for.
0: Right? Yeah. How can we, you know, take that moment of disappointment and sort of shorten the latency on it, right? Like, so we're not wallowing for months and making it mean something that it doesn't. Like, just because people didn't sign up for something has no correlation to my worth as a human, right? And anybody out there the same. But that's what I had to sort of untangle is to separate out that your worth is, is never in question. So yeah, you feel disappointed. That's okay. Sit with that for a moment, but then it's okay. Where do we go from here? How do I want to feel? How do I want to proceed? If my mission on this earth is to continue to have impact, then I got to pivot and I got to do something different. And I think everyone else can relate to that as well. We have to you know, we have to change sometimes and you can only ever connect the dots in reverse, right? When you look back at something at the time, it could have been your greatest challenge, your greatest struggle. I mean, I would never be doing this work had I not experienced anxiety myself. And so while I would never wish that on anybody, I at least can use that experience to now help others.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's your, it's your gateway. It's, it's how you connect with the people that you're serving. I get you. I understand you. I've been there. And here's what it feels like and here's how we get out of it and so Mm -hmm. that's a much more beautiful approach anyway and rapport to have with someone than to say yeah i think so theoretically in the book that i read i mean should be this way so let's try it right yeah there's no there's no confidence behind that yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely that's amazing okay and so then The other thing that you mentioned was also movement as being sort of the third part of that pillar. So what does that look like and why yoga specifically?
0: So when I say movement as a way to manage anxiety, we're really looking at nervous system regulating movement. Mm. So this comes from, well, first of all, movements that you actually enjoy doing, right? So we want it for each person, be able to tap into that intuition of like, what lights you up? What type of movement do you like going for walks? Great. Do that. Do you like running and entering in races, then great, do that. So it really is individual. For me, I think why I found yoga, and let me say it was sort of like meditation that the first time, first 10 times, maybe I did not, I did not enjoy it. I was like, I have to be in my body now and connect to it in this way. And so, you know, I had spent so many years feeling disconnected from my body, like really not having that hate relationship with it of of just Being So upset with how my body looked and felt and not wanting to be in it. Mm -hmm. And so yoga was a retraining of how my body moves and being so grateful, the fact that it does move and how it works for me. So it was a really big shift to be able to see my body in that way. And yoga specifically is great for regulating the nervous system because it is that slower type of movement and it's linking breath with movement. And so when we're bringing the breath into it, we're really like slowing down the breath in yoga that shifts the nervous system over into that parasympathetic side, right? That relaxing rest and digest side, the side that is not where anxiety hangs out.
1: So good. What I love about what you just said is also the emotions that have come with the two nervous system states. And this is so important because I don't know about you, but when I first learned about the nervous system and and we're talking by the way about the autonomic nervous system, which is a different area of the nervous system than the central. And the central nervous system is where we have our voluntary movements. It's where we can command the body to do certain things. The autonomic nervous system, those are the functions that are not governed under our direct voluntary control, unless you're of course an advanced yogi. I'm not there yet, still working on it. However, one day I will be able to slow my own heart rate down just <laughs> with my thoughts. <laughs> Essentially the autonomic nervous system, that's under the governance of, of that part of the nervous system where we're not actually, in control or in command of what's going on. And so we have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And I refer to both of these as protection mode and then safety mode because of the different things that happen in the body. So on a physiological level, yes, there's vasodilation, vasoconstriction, all these things that are happening and increase in heart rate and there's certain hormones that are released. But we oftentimes don't think about the thoughts and the emotions that are associated with each of the nervous system states. So when we are in sympathetic nervous state or when we're in protection mode, because our body is geared for survival, we're going to be thinking about thoughts or projecting thoughts in the future that likely are focusing on our worst case scenarios. Because if we were really under threat, we have to be thinking about what could be the worst case scenario, because if I can prepare for that, I can also ensure my survival. And so that's why our thoughts are worrying there's a lot of doubt there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of fear there's things that feeling out of our control because of course we don't know what's coming and so things do feel out of our control and then the emotions of course that follow that are what i just shared which are the fear and the doubt and the uncertainty and so it's really important to notice that again how we're eating how we're moving how we're really allowing for meditation it's not just about what's happening in the physiological body But it's also what's happening in our thoughts what's happening in our emotions and how there's a direct correlation when we're in parasympathetic when we are in safety mode now we can get creative now we're thinking about Mm. gratitude now we're now we're openly looking at everything around us we have actually a broader Vision in front of us able to see more color able to see more opportunity And that's really where we can start to allow ourselves to be more at ease in our environment Even on the body level the body doesn't need to store energy doesn't need to store fat doesn't need to slow down the metabolism It doesn't ask us to eat more because there's this fear of, of a famine coming And so it's so important when you understand the nervous system and you actually start to work in that way and start to realize how again how we do anything is how we do everything which is why i love having holistic nutritionists on the show is because we're not just talking about eat this and this is really good for you and also help you release this min- this much weight and let's get into a calorie deficit but we're actually really talking about how what we eat how we move how we think impacts our overall well-being in ways that we oftentimes don't unfortunately get to tie together and so this is just such an important conversation and as we start 2024 if you're listening to this and you've already decided to commit to these massive weight loss goals this year maybe we can take a step back and think about what hasn't worked in the past and maybe try a different approach and what if that approach this year was to really focus on the nervous system and how can we shift the nervous system so that we are actually targeting every single aspect of our well-being and not just our calories in and calories out
0: well said amazing it's the key it's the key to it all right if we feel like we are safe then think about all of the things that we free up our mind to do right we can create we can feel hopeful we can feel inspired like that's what helps us shift to taking action in our lives and going after our, our dreams is that if we feel this element of safety of confidence that you know that whatever happens it's going to be okay i'm going to make it all work out it's going to be okay
1: so good and and let's talk about that word safety heather because i think some of us might hear and be like i don't i don't feel unsafe like I'm, I feel very safe in my environment and yet we are in protection mode or we're, we've been in sympathetic nervous state for not years, but decades. So what does that word mean to you when you say when when we're actually feeling safe? How could we actually put that word more into the context of what we're we're discussing here today?
0: I think safety, because you're right, it's not as if we feel like we are physically in danger a lot of the time. It's more that emotional danger, right? So safety feels like, Safety feels like I can take a risk and it's all going to be okay. Safety feels like I have the confidence to know that whatever my desire is, I'm, I can make it happen. Safety feels like I don't need to prove my worth, that I just inherently know it. And I, exactly as I am right now, am deserving of everything that I want in life.
1: Oh my God. I just have to hold space for that. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. I don't think I've ever heard it like that. That is so <laughs> mm. good.
0: That's what it means to me. That's what I've figured out after years of struggling with anxiety, of feeling unsafe. I mean, really being at war with my body, right? Like feeling like there's nothing wrong right now. Why are you being activated? And constantly questioning the signals I was receiving. It really involved reprogramming and to understand like it wasn't a physical danger that was making me feel unsafe. It was this activation that was being, you know, activated from Feeling not good enough from feeling like I was going to be left and abandoned. It's never about the situation itself. It's always what is it activating for me at that deeper level? Because when we can understand that we're being activated, really, what's happening is that younger version of us—you know—that six-year-old self is is come online of when these types of patterns got put into the subconscious. So if we can understand that right now, the six-year-old is driving the bus, then we can, as adults, come online as well and say you know what? I hear you feeling unsafe right now. I hear that you're feeling like there's danger, but I got you. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to support you. I'm going to be here. And I got this.
1: Wow. That's so good. That is so good. And I love, I love how you brought that in just that reminder that sometimes the way we operate as adults in our adult mind is actually a reflection of, that little moment that's trapped still in time from when we were six years old and still felt very, very vulnerable. And that's where that emotion comes from because when we were young, when we were kids and we started to receive information around us from our society and just from our environment, we knew we were weak, we were vulnerable, we were dependent and reliant on other people simply to survive. And so that's Mm -hmm. so important to state is that when we take that moment just to reflect and just to allow for us to be curious. Again, And I'm going to keep saying the word curious, because if we really allow for curiosity without it needing to mean anything and to be so significant, we can then just actually have a brand new perspective around something. So this is really beautiful what you've just shared. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know, it's funny that we're having this conversation because earlier today I had a client and she was struggling with making a mistake. And she said, I'm constantly checking, triple checking, quadruple checking my work. And it's, it was causing me a lot of stress when I'm not working because I'm overthinking, like, did I make a mistake? What happens if I made a mistake? And so we sort of got down to, well, what's underneath of that? Why do you feel like you can't make a mistake? Well, because, and it doesn't have to be rational, right? But they were thinking, well, if I make a mistake, then it means I could get in trouble. I could receive criticism. If that happens enough time, times I'm going to get fired. And if I get fired, you know, I could lose my apartment. I could lose my friends. Like none of that is really rational. And so we just paused and went through that process of saying, okay, you know what? Six-year-old you is online right now. They're feeling unsafe because if you think making a mistake equates to you getting fired and losing your apartment, your money, that is about survival, right? That feels very dangerous, very scary, unsafe. So we went through that process of just offering compassion of saying like, Hey, younger version of us, hand on the heart. I I see you. I see that you're feeling unsafe right now. But guess what? The adult version has got this because even if we got fired, you know what? I get a new job and it would be okay. But that's what we were sort of being hijacked by that younger version, right? So we have to bring that conscious mind online of the older version of us and just say, I got this. It's okay. I'm going to take care of you. And then that brings us back into regulation and safety.
1: So good. So good. And it's never about the behavior. It's never about over shopping or overeating or any of that stuff, right? Or over perfectionism. It's about what's behind the behavior. And generally what's behind the behavior is some sort of lack. It's something that we're already missing. And most of the time what we're missing is the connection. It is that fear that we're going to somehow be left behind and we're not going to be connected to a tribe to a community we're not going to have love we're not going to have that capacity to actually be present with others in our lives and so it's so important to understand that it's not about the discipline and it's not about motivation and it's not about me being good or bad or not being able to commit to what I said I was going to commit to if I truly understand that there's something deeper that's driving this whole behavior. And oftentimes what's driving it is the lack. It's what I feel that is already missing, that's not there. And I take that moment. I love how you just shared that. You just take a moment, step back and and really go through what is it that you're truly worried about? And when you get to the bottom Mm -hmm. of it, you're like, that's really not rational. And that can just bring us a sense of calmness and just allow ourselves to recenter and then move forward from there. That's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, there's this lightness that kind of spreads over you, right? When you realize... Oh, you know, me making a mistake doesn't equal death. Like we can, we we need to separate those two because otherwise, we're constantly being hijacked, right? And then we're going to self sabotage our efforts. We're not going to take those risks, right? We're going to say I'm too busy to do whatever, or we're going to start something like our New Year's resolutions and then we're going to fall off of it because if we don't believe deep down that we're worthy, then we're going to sabotage our efforts.
1: Right? Yeah, absolutely, and. And if we harness that, that same level of grace and kindness that we have towards others naturally, but we actually projected that towards ourselves, I mean, what a difference that would be if we, have, we all had more grace with ourselves and we all allowed for ourselves to make mistakes, not thinking that that is equating to our value or our worth, that would really open up a lot of possibility for us. And it's interesting, you said that this year, your, your word is impact. And last year, my word was really boundaries. And the boundaries were on me. It was really more on me. And it was on me not to be so perfect all the time and to have to have things go exactly the way that I felt they needed to go in order for me to see that as a personal success. And so the motto that I adopted last year was even C's get degrees. And that's just been what I've been, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I like that. And it's like, man, I don't need to be an A student to be successful, like everyone graduates, C's, B's, A's, A minuses, they all graduate, and Mm -hmm. who knows who ends up getting the job, but even C's get degrees, Cher, like move on, and since I've allowed for that, Heather, like the amount of stuff I've been able to do, because instead of spending so much time trying to perfect that one thing, I'm like, yep, even C's get degrees, move on, and I'm on to the next thing, even C's get degrees, move on, and it's just beautiful to see really what you can create when you just are a little bit more at ease with what you're, what you are creating and, and more in flow of the moment and is actually available for you there.
0: Yes. Oh, okay. I love that expression. I'm going to share that with my community. Sometimes I say that we don't need the Cadillac when the Honda Civic will do. Right. And it's the same sort of mentality, right? Of constantly waiting for everything to be perfect. We're never going to act right. We're going to delay whatever it is. We're going to delay You know, taking that program, we're gonna delay working with that coach, we're gonna delay applying to the promotion or the new job because we're constantly waiting for everything to align. And it's just a self sabotage tactic, right? We just gotta move and fail forward, just learn as we go. Yeah, and just keep moving forward. So good. So good. So
1: I'm really sad that we're winding down the hour because I feel like it just flew. And at the same token, I still feel like there's probably someone listening who's like okay Heather and Sherry sure you know so easy for you to say sit and meditate and and stop being such a perfectionist and and all that so how can we really transition from that because we know this is not going to obviously be Heather an overnight change and so for that person who has been struggling with anxiety and perfectionism for so long how do then they take that first step towards healing and what could that look like for them
0: So I think it's all about the habits that you put in place and choosing really manageable goals for those habits. So, you know, we talked about the three pillars today. So mindset, nutrition, and movement. So, you know, just starting with one thing from each pillar. So maybe you're doing a two-minute guided meditation every day. Maybe you're eating just one of those foods that I talked about, the nuts, the seeds, or the fermented foods. And maybe you're getting outside for a walk, you know, on your lunch break, that's 10 minutes long, like putting those habits into place, because what will start to happen is by prioritizing your self-care, you're starting to shift your subconscious mind into believing that you are deserving of time for yourself, right? The more we prioritize ourselves and say, yes i get to come first the more we're rewiring those old patterns right if you're always putting everyone else's needs ahead of your own that's the signal that you're sending to your subconscious you're reinforcing the belief pattern so by just shifting into doing a couple behaviors every day one from each of the pillars you'll start to shift those patterns and then you'll start to see that you then can take more risks in your life right what shows up for you is going to be very different when you are a person who is exuding that confidence, that belief, that self-worth. Right.
1: So good. I love that. I love that. I love this conversation so much, Heather. And I want to thank you so much for your time and honor you for all that you've shared today. So many valuable nuggets for us today. And so if there was one more thing that you wanted to share that you didn't have a chance to just yet, is there something there for us?
0: I think just to let people know that, you know, anxiety and perfectionism, that it doesn't have to be a life sentence. That it's only a life sentence if we make it our identity. So if we say things like, I'm just an anxious person, person, or, you know, I'm always going to be a perfectionist, then yeah, you're going to, that's the identity you're adopting. You're going to always act in alignment with that. But if we can just maybe get curious about what a new identity would look like, right? Curiosity is like our theme for today too. So what if we could just get curious and say, I'm having a feeling of anxiety right now. That could start to shift things for you. Or, you know, what would someone who knows that they're worth it and that they're deserving and they feel good enough, how would they act in this scenario? Could I just emulate that a little bit? Right. Like, what if it were possible for me to feel that way? That kind of creaks the door open a little bit so that it doesn't feel like it has to be a lifelong thing. Cause I mean, I get it. I've been there and for myself, I was in a place where I really thought that nothing would ever change and that I was just going to live the, lef- the rest of my life, like believing these things about myself but it's absolutely possible. And I think it really does come down to those habits that we can put into place that will show ourselves that we're worth it.
1: Wow. So good. So good, Heather. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you and learn more from you or connect with you, where could they go to do that?
0: Sure. Happy to share that. So first of all, thank you so much, Sherry, for having me on. This has been a great conversation. I do feel like we could go on for hours about this topic. Maybe we'll do a part two in the future. (laughs) So for those listening again, my name is Heather Lilico and you can come hang out with me in my community, Cultivating Calm. So if you're someone who wakes up with a pit of dread in your stomach about your endless to-do list for the day, or you don't know how to relax without feeling guilty, or you're feeling like you already can start to see that all or nothing approach coming in with your goals, then you can join Cultivating Calm. So this is the app that I've launched recently. And it's a place that teaches you the habits that you need to feel confident, to stay present, and to really know that you are worthy and that you deserve to relax so that you can feel worthy without needing to do it all and burning out. So if anyone wants to check it out, there is a free two-week trial of Cultivating Calm. So you can head to the App Store or Google Play and search for Cultivating Calm. And then you can start that free trial and start to get all those pieces of the puzzle to put together. There's lots of meditations on the app, there is yoga classes, there's delicious recipes, and then there's some courses as well like a journal through anxiety course, there's uh the chaos to calm blueprint which breaks down perfectionism, people pleasing, overthinking. So lots to explore and as I said there is a free 2 week trial so folks can check it out.
1: Amazing. That sounds amazing. I think I'm going
0: to try also for two. Absolutely. Come join the community. I could learn from too. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for your time. I definitely do think that there's going to be a part two for us sometime this year. Um, It's a really, really great conversation. Well, thanks for having me again, Sherry. Thanks for listening to this episode of fall in love with fitness, whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started. We're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode and remember, you are an inspiration.